Dear God, we thank you that we can worship you in song, in various languages, all cultures. Father, because there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is, not born, there is neither born nor free, there is not, neither male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the message and song, dear God, that has brought our hearts closer to your throne. Fill me now with your spirit, I ask, that I not be seen. Let Jesus be lifted up, and let every heart be drawn to him. Forgive us where we have failure, and we invite your spirit to be with us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. 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 I'm delighted to be here at Belleville. I'm delighted to be among the people of God. It's a blessing to me and my wife that we can come here. It's a joy each Sabbath for me to be here. I'm nervous. I'm thankful to God. Each one of us has a unique experience in coming to know God. And Brother Leonardo, God used you to touch my heart. Because there is a single message left to preach, to teach, and to speak about. And it is the soon coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But mixed with the message is our testimony of how we came to the Lord. We're living in solemn times. I'm nervous. I'm nervous for myself. I'm nervous for the church. Growing up, I heard my grandmother and my mother constantly speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I was absent from the church and I thank the Lord I'm back. But I never thought the coming of Jesus Christ could trouble a spirit as my soul is troubled. I wonder as we come to church from Sabbath to Sabbath are we ready? Brothers and sisters, Christ 
is at the door. I was looking at, it had to be the Spirit of God. I was pondering this message for weeks. I couldn't write the sermon. Yesterday, I spent a great deal of time trying to write the sermon, and I could not. And last night, a friend sent me a video. And I looked at it. And it was on the message for today. But he used the pastor who preached the sermon. Used a quote out of Christian service written by Ellen G. White. I'm going to share with you today. Ellen G. White writes, Those who place themselves under God's control to be led and guided by Him will catch the steady tread of the events ordained by Him to take place. And as I heard the quote, it confirmed in my mind the message for today is correct. Ellen G. White, 170 years ago, saw that only as we place ourselves in the hands of God and as we are led by the Spirit of God, will we discern the times that we are living in. Are we looking at the political world? It's in turmoil. We should be worried about the upcoming elections in the United States of America. Just a few hours ago it seemed certain. And now it's in doubt. You have to look at the religious world to see what is happening. Ecumenism. Look in the academic world. The freedom of speech is now being denied. Look in the halls of the legislatures today. Legislation must be passed to protect the ungodliness in this world. And God's people are on the outside looking in. I am nervous. Because God has called us to proclaim the last message to a warning world. And everything in this word of God is now considered hate literature. How are we going to speak it? How are we going to tell about it? The message today, the topic is entitled, The Cup is Filled Up. Abraham was looking... Abraham was told by God that he was going to be the father of a great nation. And years went by and Abraham did not have that seed that was going to continue the generation. And God comes to Abraham and you find the story in, in Genesis chapter 15. 
And he said to Abraham, he says, Abraham, Abraham was telling God, look, Ishmael, the son of my servant, is to be the heir. And God said, no. God says, I will make of you a great nation. He says, look up to the heavens and see if you can count the stars, and that will be the multitude of your generation. But he said to Abraham, that before they could inhabit the land that God had promised, he says, they are going to go into captivity for four, for four generations. Because the land they were going to occupy, the iniquity of the Amorites had not been fulfilled, had, had not been filled up. God had placed probation on the Amorites. That the destruction was certain. And God said to Abraham that your people would be released out of bondage after the Amorites, the iniquity has been filled up, that they would be destroyed. That's the message for you and I. We have been in bondage to sin all of our lives. But God cannot deliver us until the iniquity of the world is filled up. When men and women would have reached a point of ungodliness, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, saw it. Ungodly men, ungodly deeds, the ungodly ways, saying ungodly things about the God of heaven. It's right before our eyes. It's in the newspaper. It is on the television. It is from the mouths of our leaders of government today. An ungodliness has taken hold of our lives. Please turn with me to the book of Luke. Please turn with me to the book of Luke. In the book of Matthew, we're going to go to Luke chapter 17. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus had just left the temple at Jerusalem for the last time. And the last words he spoke, he said to the temple and the people at the temple, your house is now left desolate. The last words of condemnation on a rebellious people. And the disciples following Jesus as he left the temple, as they went to the Mount of Olives, they asked Jesus the question, it says, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And the response Jesus gave in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 24, he says, take heed that no man deceives you. So the very first sign pointing to the second coming of Jesus is deception. And he went on to say that that deception would be in the church. For false Christ and false prophets shall arise. That if it were possible, they would do what? Deceive the very elect. He went on to say that in the political world, that there would be no peace. That nations will rise against nations. There would be wars and rumors of wars. In the social structure of to society, there would be famines, there would be pestilences. 
But in the book of Luke, in the book of Luke chapter 17, something is captured by the, by, by the writer of the book of, of, of Luke, Luke himself. That, Pete, that Matthew briefly mentioned in Matthew chapter 24. And let us go to verses 25, verse 26. And Jesus is going to give two signs that are imminent, that is going to occur just at his second coming. In verse, we're going to start at verse 26 and we're going to go to verse 30. It says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, <clears throat> they drank, <clears throat> they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, likewise as, it was, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. You would have heard sermons and sermons and sermons that spoke about those signs on the second coming of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, my wife and I were going to Philadelphia. We had an address. I had just gotten a new GPS, first GPS. These things we use in our cars today that directs us. So we were confident where we were going. And we were driving through, we left Oshawa, driving through the night. And we arrived in Philadelphia just about 1 o'clock in the morning. So we, we knew where we were going to. We were going to attend a prison ministry convention. So we put that destination in the GPS. And we tried to find a hotel using the GPS closest to that location or final destination. So we drove. It was raining pretty hard. It was raining very hard. And through the heavy rains, we were able, and it was very dark, very, very dark. We traveled some roads on which there were no street lights. And we arrived to what we thought, what the GPS had given us as our destination, the motel. It was a parking lot. It is now about 2 o'clock in the morning. You see, the GPS, the information, the GPS was not updated. So we've got to update our knowledge of these signs that Jesus is talking about. See, as we look at the words of Scripture, it says that Jesus is making a comparison. The social order as it was at the time of Noah. And the social order during the, at the time of Lot. And he is going to present it in a way. He's saying to us that the social order then and the social order now would be very much the same thing. As in the days of Noah. That word as, that word likewise are adverbs. 
And they mean exactly the same thing, in the same manner, to the same degree, in the same amount. And so let us try to unravel what, what Christ was telling the church. So in the, days of, in, in the days of Noah, what was it like? You see, the generations of Noah, the generations of Lot, they, they were living a normal life. It's what people do. They have a social life. They eat, they drink, they've got family relations, they work, they have their jobs. It's normal now, isn't it? But let us go to the book of Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And let us take a look at what Christ was saying to us as the sign pointing and using the illustration of in, as in the days of Noah, pointing to what the conditions would be in Belleville and in Toronto and in Kingston and in the surrounding areas. It's going to be locally. It is going to be nationally. It is going to be internationally. It is going to be global. Let us go to Genesis chapter 6. And let us go. And I'm going to read verses 1 uh, to 10. So 1 to 8. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only even continually. I want us to remember that verse. That the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, as in the days of, Lord, uh, of Noah. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made man, and that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So what is Christ saying to us? As I look at those verses of scripture, five things stood out at me. Number one, the depth of sin that existed in the world and among the people of God in the days of Noah. The depth of sin in the world as represented by the daughters of men. The depth of sin among God's people as represented by the sons of God. Point number one. God granted probation to the generation of Noah. He saw the wickedness was so great in the earth and he granted them a probationary period to repent. Point number three. Amidst the depravity of a sinful world, God had placed a mark on his faithful followers. 
All of those, we're going to bring it to the end time. God calls his faithful followers to preach the last warning message of judgment to a perishing world. And the Spirit of God would strive on the hearts of the ungodly until probation closes. As in the days of Noah. We don't have time to read Genesis chapter 19. As in the days of Sodom. But as in the days of Sodom, there was no probationary period given to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was no last message of judgment preached. In the days of and in, <clears throat> in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, judgment was swift. But both in the days of Noah and in the days of Sodom, God delivered his people from the wickedness, and God took them out of the wickedness. Are you with me, church? As in the days of Sodom, Noah, as in the days of Sodom. So let us take a look at this depth of sin. If you remember that at the time of Noah, Noah was the tenth from Adam. And so from the generations of Adam to his son Seth, to his son, to, to Seth's son Canaan, and then from the, 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 the son of Canaan was Enosh. And Enosh had Jared, and Jared had Mahalalel, and Mahalalel had Enoch. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. There was a purity that came down the race. Even though man had sinned, yet God did not just remove his image from man. So when, when the Bible refers to the sons of God, he was, the Bible is referring to the descendants of Seth. They would have heard from, from the fathers and from their grandfathers. Men lived for a very long time. Adam lived for 930 years. Enoch lived for just 300. Seth lived for 912 years. Enoch lived for 905 years. So the message of the gospel was preached from generation to generation. But the generation of Cain was also in the earth. They were idolatrous. They lived a polygamous lifestyle. They worshipped idols. Every form of evil was, form, was found in the generation of Cain. And God's people who knew of the creation... The fall of man, the consequence of sin, and the promise of a, of a coming deliverer. They abandoned the knowledge of God, looked at the daughters of men, found them to be fair, and intermarried. And out of this intermarriage, an evil and ungodliness developed in the world. That it repented God, it grieved God's heart that he had created man. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 19, Peter refers to that generation as spirits in prison or men and women in bondage, slaves to sin. The hearts were deceitful. Their minds were corrupt. 
The whole thought process was driven away from God. What is it like today? Have you looked at the churches lately? I was aghast. To know a religious body in the United States could hold up a man so immoral and we want to make him king. Adultery is no longer sinful. Covetousness is no longer sinful. Lying is no longer sinful. Corruption is no longer sinful. But we want him to be king. He has made us a promise. Things are going to be better. And just about two days ago, as I looked at it, and I thought of the ecumenism movement that is in the works right now, it seems that the balance has shifted. And a quote by Ellen G. White, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 71. She writes that the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God had given men his commandments as a rule of life, but his law was transgressed, and every conceivable sin was the result. The wickedness of men was open and daring. Justice was trampled in the dust, and the cries of the oppressed reached unto heaven, as in the days of Noah. God granted a probationary period to the generations of Noah. From the lessons in the life of Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, we learn that God had given the promise of the coming of the Lord to execute judgment on the ungodly. So as early as the seventh from Adam, Enoch, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. He lived a life that was righteous, a life that was pure. He was an example to the descendants that surrounded him. Yet all his preaching went in vain. Men's heart was so hardened to the truth that they indulged in sin, best passions of life, that the image of God was totally removed from them. And so God granted a hundred years probation to the antediluvian world. But God did not grant probation to Sodom. Three. Amidst, amidst the, the depravity of a sinful world, God has placed a mark on his faithful followers. What the message is saying, that God, through generation to generation, would always have a faithful who would maintain the integrity in God. We're studying the book of Job right now. Despite what came at Job, yet he believed that one day he was going to see God in the flesh. And that even though that his body was destroyed, yet with his own eyes, he would see God. And not a person was going to tell him he would see him eye to eye. That is the faith of the believer. That was the faith of, of, uh, of Noah. 
You see, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, a just man, perfect in his generations. In Genesis 7, 5, we read, And Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. God's commandments is paramount in the life of the believer. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. As in the days of Sodom, God had put his mark on Lot, knowing that Lot was a righteous man. His spirits, was, his spirits were vexed by the evil and the ungodliness that surrounded him, that God was going to save him. Amen? In Revelation 14, 12, this is the mark of the saved. The passage reads, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. We're not going to get into heaven, into this kingdom of glory, by transgressing the law of God. God calls his faithful followers to preach the last warning message of judgment to a perishing world. As God called Noah to preach that message, God is calling us to preach that message. The message that Noah preached is exactly the same message that God has given to us. In 2 Peter 2.5, Peter writes, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. We find that message given to this church, given to a people called out in 1844 to proclaim the coming judgment. To proclaim the coming of the Lord. The same message given to, to, to Enoch in vision is exactly the same message that is given to the remnant church before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Go to the book of Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. We wouldn't have time to read all of it, but I wanted to just get a few words through. Revelation chapter 14. Okay? Revelation chapter 14. And I'm going to start at verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. That message given to Noah is identical to what God has given to the remnant church today because the gospel is everlasting. From the fall of man to the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's a message that was ordained in heaven, given to earth, and preached from generation to generation. That message has four parts to it. This is a call to continue preaching the everlasting gospel. Let us not forget that Christ died for our sins according to the gospel, according to the scriptures. He was buried and resurrected according to the, according to the scriptures. And it is the resurrection of Christ that gives us the hope of his second coming that we can cling to, that we can hold on to, and that, and that ungodliness would not be a part of our lives. That message, the everlasting gospel. The second part of this message, the hour of his judgment has come. I'll speak a little bit more about it later on. But it's a call to worship the creator God. Many today are worshiping, ignorant of the creator God. As a matter of fact, in the churches today, 
God is just a byword. There is no seriousness about God any longer. Come as you are, do as you want, and you know what? The Bible tells me that a person is saved by only believing. Really? It's interesting. It's very interesting. I don't know if it's my personality, but I like to confront people who don't hold the same beliefs as I do. And there is a reason why. Because there are many good people today who want to be saved. And we have to go out and find them. They're not going to come to us. So in the walk of life, let us present something to them. A simple question. Do you worship God or do you worship the beast and his image? I did that one day at a booth in Toronto. I got eight Bible studies from it. Everybody wanted to know what's the worship to the beast. Because there's a consequence to worshiping the beast and its image. You see, at the end of time, worship is the issue in the church. Do we worship God? Or do we worship the beast and its image? And the fourth part to the message is a warning to those who worship the beast and its image. And just before Jesus comes, the last invitation of mercy is going to be extended to the dying world. And the church. And this is the message that has been entrusted to us. We find it in Revelation 18, 4 and 5. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And when that message is proclaimed, Jesus is going to come through the clouds of heaven. This is the last invitation of mercy to be given to the world. Come out of her, my people. Those who are still in Babylon, these are the good-hearted Christians who are deceived, but with a heart yearning for the truth. We bring that message to them. They're going to come out and join the ranks of the saved. Ellen G. White says, great controversy, that when those in Babylon... See the persecution, and I'm paraphrasing her writings here. When the, the, those in Babylon see the persecution extended to the people of God, they would rise up and say no, and they would, they would join the, the ranks of the saved. Amen? So let our life be one, that they can see us, enlighten us, that we have the gospel message, we, we can proclaim the judgment message, that we worship the creator God, and that we can tell them of the consequence of their behavior. Lastly, while the doors of God, the Spirit of God would strive on the hearts of the ungodly until probation closes. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, 1 to 3, God is, is, is anxious that men and women would respond to his invitation of mercy. And Isaiah writes, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and it will make an everlasting covenant with you. Amen. 
And just before Jesus walks out of the heavenly sanctuary, his last words would be, And the spirit of the bride says, Come. And let him who hears says, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Amen? God's invitation of mercy to a rebellious people, a rebellious world, stubborn hearts. God, God's, I, I can't explain God's love. God weeps over us, church. And God is crying out. He says, come, come, come to the waters of life and drink freely. There is no cost. Why are you buying water that has no value to it? Why are you buying bread that cannot satisfy you? That, that's what God wants. God wants us to come, to come. As in the days of Noah, is the type that pointed to the period from October 18, 20, 22nd, 1844, to the second coming of Jesus of the clouds of glory to take his loved one home. That is the last warning message, the probation. We're living in the time of probation. It has been extended because God is looking to save as much as he can. You see, from that day to now, wickedness and violence continue to increase exponentially. I can't believe when I read the news what parents do to their children, what children do to their parents. It is unbelievable. Mothers killing their infants. Fathers killing wives and children. It is unbelievable. Police officers just shooting people innocently. It is unbelievable the violence in the world. Many of the churches have many of the churches have fallen, having rejected the great light given to them between the years 1832 and 1844. Today, unholy alliances among the churches along the lines of ecumenism seeking a moral authority that would speak on behalf of all, trying to find common ground on which to unite all, despite differences in doctrines, is setting the stage for the final assault on the, on the legitimacy of the, Lord of God, on, on the law of God as a tenet of one's salvation by grace through faith. The armies of Satan are amassing. And their eyes are focused on the people of God. The doors of probation were opened as Jesus Christ, our high priest, moved from the holy place to the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary to begin his work of judgment. In commencing his work of judgment, a faithful band of his followers on earth began proclaiming the work of judgment and Jesus' second coming. As in the days of Lord, represents the time when Jesus comes. Probation is closed. Judgment is going to be executed. The last message of warning was already preached by righteous Lot. There's not going to be another message. But God has marked out his people for his second coming. As in the days of Noah, as in the days of Lot, Jesus says, God, is going to save the faithful. He says, remember Lot's wife. I'll, take you, I'll share a quote with you from Conflict and Courage by Ellen G. White, page 54. Referring to Lot, Lot's wife. While her body was upon the plain, 
Her heart clung to Sodom, and she perished with it. She rebelled against God because his judgments involved her possessions and her children in the ruin. Although so greatly favored in being called out from the wicked city, she felt that she was severely dealt with because the wealth that it had taken years to accumulate must be left to destruction. Instead of thankfully accepting deliverance, she presumptuously looked back to desire the life of those who had rejected the divine warning. Her sins showed her to be unworthy of life, for the preservation of which she felt so little ingratitude. You see, church, we call to do not love the world, nor the things of the world. For the things of the world are passing away. Lot was delivered from Sodom, as empty as he came into the world, as empty as he left. If you remember the story of Lot and Abraham, when there was a discussion, a conflict over the land where, 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 where the cattle was grazing, Abraham said, Lot, choose, choose. And, Lot, and, and, and Lot chose the rich plains of Sodom. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. But, God, but Lot retained his righteousness. And the Bible said he was vexed in his spirits over the ungodly conversations and associations of the people who lived in, in Sodom. Let us not hold our attachments to the things of this world because they're given to us as a blessing that we could enjoy the comfort and conveniences of this life but know that they're passing away. So that comes back to the verse that was read earlier. You see, the cup is filled up and that's the cup of iniquity. And let's, let's take a look at it. Uh, Jude chapter 1, 14 and 15. And this vision was given to Enoch, seventh from Adam. So it was Enoch who walked with God. In his mind, he was wondering what would become of the wicked. And God revealed it to him. So let us go to Jude chapter uh, 1, verses 14 and 15. Now Enoch the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, against God. Ungodliness. The description of Sodom, as noted in scripture and in the spirit of prophecy, it was a sin of pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did they strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and, were, and they were haughty and committed abomination before God. Therefore God saw it fit to take them away. Quote, in Sodom, there was mirth, revelry, feasting, and drunkenness. The vilest passions were unrestrained. People openly defied God and his law and delighted in violence. In the days of Noah, men and women transgressed the law of God. In Sodom, 
people only defied people openly defied God and his law which brings us to today when the law of God is rejected then sin is no longer sin as there is no God-given standard by which to judge sin as a result people revel in a righteousness of convenience that is called sin righteousness is denounced as bigotry, hate speech, and divisiveness. The men of Sodom questioned the legitimacy of Lot to judge their behavior. The cup is filled up. The cup of this earth is filled up. The enemy of God's people are arrayed in battle for the final assault. For the final assault. At all levels of government, is, legislation is being tabled to protect ungodliness. In the, in the academic world, freedom of expression is being treated as insensitivity to ungodliness. In the scientific world, the embracing of evolution eliminates the need for a creator and grants a license to, par to parade ungodliness. In the churches, the rejection of God's law lays the foundation for ungodliness. In too many homes today, the dog has become God, and God has become the dog. Worship the dog, and deny the God who created the dog. This is the last remaining endeavor in saying, there is no God. The hungry are still hungry. The needy are still needy. And it is too much for the world to have the poor, the needy, the hopeless, and the helpless. But we have too much to pour out on dumb animals. We are now telling God there is no God. To worship the created instead of the creator is ungodliness. And Paul sums it up very nicely in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 1, 28 to 32. Romans chapter 1, 28 to 32. Romans 1, 28 to 32. Romans 1, 28 to 32. And it would, it would be good to spend some time to read the book of Romans chapter 1. Because everything we see unfolding before us today, Paul noted it in the book of Romans chapter 1 and um, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1. Okay? So I'm going to start at verse 18 and then go to 20 to 32. I want us to see this picture here. Paul writes in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And let's go to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in the knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, there are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those 
who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do they not only do the not only do the same, but though but also approve of those who practice them. The mind had become so debased, the heart so calcified, they could not discern spiritual things, and God gave up on them. And not only was the ungodliness and the unrighteousness noticed, but they invited others to be a part of it. And that they would condemn anyone who rejects it. The cup is filled up. And when Jesus says that as in the days of Noah, likewise as in the days of Sodom, days of Sodom, He's saying that the social, political, religious conditions that existed then would exist in this earth just before his coming. He's at the door even as we speak. May God continue to richly bless you.